Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. I thought you said she was dead. That was her sister, the Wicked Witch of the East. This is the Wicked Witch of the West. She's worse than the other one was. Who killed my sister? Who killed the Witch of the East? Was it you? No. No, it was an accident. I didn't mean to kill anybody. Well, my little pretty, I can cause accidents too. Aren't you forgetting the ruby slippers? The slippers? Yes. They're gone. The ruby slippers. What have you done with them? Give them back to me or I'll... It's too late. There they are and there they'll stay. Give me back my slippers. I'm the only one that knows how to use them. They're no use to you. Give them back to me. Give them back. Keep tight inside of them. Their magic must be very powerful, or she wouldn't want them so badly. You stay out of this, Glinda, or I'll fix you as well. Oh, rubbish. You have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops the house on you too. Very well. I'll bide my time. And as for you, my fine lady, it's true, I can't attend you here and now as I'd like, but just try to stay out of my way. Just try. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. Good evening, and welcome to television. Hello! Hello! G'day! Hey! hey. Whoa! Hey. I'm Wayne Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. We most certainly do, Philip. What have you been watching since our last podcast? I've been watching Friends. Oh, look at you. <laughs> now, I thought you didn't particularly like this show. I'm not a huge fan, but yep. Kirsten has <laughs> been watching it, and so I've been watching it with her. Yes. Um, the funny thing is, Kirsten has sort of been complaining to me a little bit, to be honest. That's unlike a girlfriend to do. Unlike a girlfriend. <laughs> no, but to be fair, I think she's got a good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, I've been making her... So, because I'm so cynical about film and so cynical about... Uh, certain shows yeah. she says you know I didn't think about these shows before you came along now I've been questioning all my taste oh wow um, so she watches Gilmore Girls and I cannot stand Gilmore Girls okay. for me it's a right wing uh, claptrap I was going to say it's such a huge following though it is, yeah. it is. I've never I'm seen it I'm not a fan of it in one bit I think it's shallow it's vapid it's yeah. very right wing in its views <laughs> yeah. not a fan whatsoever and she's like I didn't see it before you pointed it out. Now it's all I can see. <laughs> um, the friends in Friends are all a-holes, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And <laughs> They're not nice people. They are they? not nice people <laughs> at all. And unlike Seinfeld, where that's kind of the point, they're yeah. not meant to be nice people. You're meant to like the friends. You're meant yeah. to fall in love with them. And yet they are not nice people. And Kirsten's like... I didn't see it before you pointed it out. Why? Why do this to me? So why doesn't she just ban you from the lounge room? Because we watch in the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Google cast. (laughs) I feel like that she should ban you from the bedroom too. I'd be like, you're sleeping on the couch. You're ruining my shows. (laughs) Well, Phil, you know what? Speaking of um, vapid and shallow, (laughs) I've been watching a lot of reality TV actually. (laughs) (laughs) Tis the season for the best... Or at least most and highly rated reality TV shows in Australia. So I have been juggling 
one of my all-time favorite reality shows, Survivor Australia. Nice. I have returned to viewing The Block, which is a great show. I loved it back in the day. And for the very first time, and I see the look of judgment already, I'm actually watching The Bachelor Australia. Oh. <laughs> and I'm just having so much fun. <laughs> it is just the greatest, you know, slush for the brain. Survivor per yeah. se is in a different ballpark altogether. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really an, an involving show. Yeah. But I find The Bachelor so funny. I just think this is hilarious, the way these women behave. And I just know as soon as the show finishes, I'm jumping straight on to watching The Bachelorette and seeing mm. how men just act like idiots for this Oof. one girl. But I was thinking, Philip, of you when I was watching The Block. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay. You know, first episode, I'm watching it. And, you know, it's a challenge straight away, get mm. into it. And I was like, I wonder if if I could do The Block. <laughs> I, I, w- I would do The Block with Philip. And you reckon I, you and me? Well, yeah, I think, I think we could do it. And do you know what? It's a 12-week stint, right? <laughs> Based on what the contestants have been doing so far... You and I would last 36 hours yeah, before yeah. we like <laughs> packed up our tools and said we're walking away from this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After saying all of that... Yes. Wayne, what did we watch today? Well, today we watched and we're reviewing the most viewed movie of all time. Ooh. It's The Wizard of Oz. Please explain. When her dog Toto is condemned to be euthanized for biting her wicked neighbour Almira Gulch, Margaret Hamilton... Kansas farm girl Dorothy Gale, Judy Garland, runs away from home with her precocious pup. But when Dorothy meets fortune teller Professor Marvel, Frank Morgan, he convinces her through trickery to return home to her auntie M, Clara Blandick, and Uncle Henry, Charlie Grapewin. On the way, however, a tornado strikes and, locked out of her farm cellar, Dorothy seeks refuge in the house where debris knocks her unconscious. Awaking to find the house spinning in the air, Dorothy eventually crash lands in the colourful land of Oz, where Glinda, the good witch of the north, Billy Burke, advises her to follow the yellow brick road to Emerald City, so that the Wizard of Oz, Frank Morgan, can help her get back home. But it won't be easy. While trying to avoid the clutches of the wicked witch of the west, Margaret Hamilton, Dorothy meets along the way a brainless scarecrow, Ray Bolger, a heartless tin man, Jack Haley, and a cowardly lion, Bart Lahr, who all could use the wizard's help too. Considered as one of the greatest films in cinema history, and still the most commercially successful adaptation of Al Frank Baum's 1900 children's book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, it is unsurprising that Victor Fleming's classic endures in popular culture today. But I'm curious, Philip, did you go over the rainbow for The Wizard of Oz? (laughs) I like that. Um... (laughs) I, yeah, very much enjoyed it. So for my own sort of background and context, obviously I've seen this before. I shouldn't say obviously, but... uh, No, but it seems like it's a movie that every child has seen. But I saw it at about five years old and I sort of really have no memory of anything pre-year seven you know at school so so are there bits and pieces that you remembered or was it all so uh, there are bits and pieces that i remembered but i feel like if you asked me to give a rundown of the show of Mm. the movie sort of as we go through yeah i realized there would be huge chunks that i'd just leave out i was convinced like there's that scene where 
the part where Dorothy's being um, held by the, the, the witch, evil yeah. witch, and then being held hourglass and all that. Right, yeah. I was convinced that that part hmm. had something, something to do with... Like Hansel and Gretel, where okay. you know the, one of them's locked up and the other one's doing housework. I thought she had to do housework, which is why the bucket of water was there. <laughs> and when it didn't go down that way, I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> so I obviously have very, very warped memory of this. Yeah. Film. So thinking about perhaps how the Wizard of Oz is a part of our nostalgia, mm. really. We all have preconceptions of it. It's mm-hmm. so ingrained in popular culture. It's a really quotable film. Yes. The imagery, um, some of the scenes, you know, it's it's parodied a lot. It's yes, homaged yes. a lot yep, because yep. it's so significant, I suppose. So how did the nostalgia element or childhood memories or perceived childhood yeah, memories, yeah, yeah. if you will, affect the viewing this time around, if at all? Whilst I was watching it and it almost felt like I was watching with new eyes for a lot of it, it still yeah. felt that nostalgia still felt that sort of, you know, oh, that's that scene and stuff like that. Uh, Kirsten and I watched a movie a little while ago um, based on Judy Garden's life. Yes. So, and it had that uh, that scene where she goes from sapia to colour. Yes. And sort of knowing how that was done by having a body double painted. And that room was actually painted sapia. Yes. And so was uh, Dorothy. (laughs) Her body double was painted and then Dorothy walked through in colour. That's right. Just amazing. Yeah. Sort of to know how that was actually done. Well, it's such a significant moment in, I guess, cinema history, Mm. really. And we'll talk about why this film is so important. And yes, it does have to do with the use of colour as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's such a striking image. Mm. I remember as a kid just being blown away by it. The thing is, you know that the film is predominantly in colour. And if you're seeing images or posters or scenes as a child, you would just assume the whole film is in colour. Yeah. So when it begins in that sepia tone... You know, you do get that, what? I thought this was in colour, right? Yeah. And then you have that gorgeous reveal. Yeah. That's one of the things I remember being blown away with when I was a child. Because I first watched this in primary school. Mm-hmm. It was like that wonderful moment. And really, only 80s and 90s kids will understand mm-hmm. this. When the teacher wheels in the TV. Uh, yes. And you're just so excited. And The Wizard of Oz was was one of those. And I just remember that that so vividly. Mm. Uh, funnily enough, I also remember watching its sequel in school as well, <laughs> in primary school, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's, as you say, it's got this beautiful sort of stuff. Mm. And going back to that sort of nostalgia, I must admit, I, you were talking about being parodied and stuff. Mm. There was times where I did sort of chuckle at myself yeah. more at the parody than yeah. the, the fact that that... I'm That has been parodied and it's now almost a cliche. Of course. It's just so over the top now, but knowing back then that was the first time that was uttered. (laughs) This is the thing. I mean, you're right, because so much of this is in in popular culture Mm. and it it uses a narrative framework and, and the way it presents things was, you know, the first time we had seen it. This isn't the first film version of the wonderful Wizard of Oz. Many had preceded it. Oliver Hardy famously played the Tin Man once in an <laughs> earlier version. and But this is the first time that it really sort of, I suppose, championed the fantasy elements. Yeah. Uh, there was, you know, discussion about, do, do we want to make a fantasy film? Because these previous incarnations 
uh, some of them removed the fantasy element altogether ah. and played straight. Uh, it, this one plays a little bit more on the safe side by making Oz more of a dream sequence. Mm. But it's funny, even as a kid, you know, we see Dorothy uh, get knocked out with the debris from the tornado and we see that, that hazy fade uh, to, to indicate, I suppose, a dream as we now know it. Yeah. Because we see that a lot. But as a kid... I believed legitimately that she was in Oz. Yeah. And the fact that she had woken up from a dream was was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Uh, because I think you just, you believe it. It's done That's so it. beautifully. It's done so nicely. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is amazing what an impact it has left on the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I guess it does to this day. I mean, you know, we're spoiled now with visual yeah. effects and so forth. And this might have been a technical marvel at the time. It was the studio's most expensive film mm. to date and actually didn't enjoy a profitable box mm. office return mm. until its re-release in 1949. Yeah. So, you know, it was, I guess, a bit risky and didn't quite pay off. But it's endured and probably because of its story and yeah. its characters as well. So adapted from a book and it's a series of books. So you've got a lot to to pick and choose from mm. and that's why I guess no two Wizard of Oz movies <laughs> seem the same and one isn't necessarily right or the other mm. this one does stand out though for a particular reason and I just wonder if it's because the story gets it right it's, it's, a, it's a journey it's an adventure it's, a, it's an adventure within it's self-discovery there is quite a bit of exposition in this movie but I think that's important because the target audience is children. Mm. So, you know, the moral of the story, for example, is played out very plainly at the yes, end about yes. being grateful and for what you have, well, being loving of your family. And, you know, it's it's very much a, the grass isn't always greener on the yeah. other side. What were your thoughts of the story? I think the, the theme and the story is rather interesting, actually. I watched a review of it a while back mm. and this person brought in another sort of element because a lot of people say it's the grass is greener. Or, yeah. Uh, growing up it's that coming of age story where it's you know early on she's very selfish and very about herself and her own needs but then she grows to be like no worry about friends and other people and worrying about what her aunt and that but another person sort of said that it's actually also uh, indicative of America Mm -hmm. at the time which was an America that didn't really want to get into another world war. Absolutely. That was still trying to push itself as isolationist Mm -hmm. and very much felt about not going elsewhere that to be, because she talks about at the very end, she talks about, I'm never going to leave again. I'm never going to run away. I'm never going, you know, there is no place like home. And the message sort of there where today's audiences, you know, we try to push this idea of individuality and yeah. finding yourself and and be free and be... <laughs> a, this is very much a story of, no, you conform and mm. do what you're told and yes. uh, follow the rules at a time where Europe was destroying itself mm. through it's what America would see as it trying to be independent and trying to do, yeah. you know, play by different rules. Let them sort it out. Let them sort it and out. Su- we will stay here. And I suppose it does make sense. You look after your own, you look after your own backyard. Yeah. Mm. I'd never really considered that before based on that time mm. period, which makes me wonder then if the film was made 
two years later. <laughs> exactly. Would, would the mess would it have been the same or would it have been a different message? The the film itself went through a crazy amount of writers. I think about like twelve different people had hands at writing this movie mm. for a film that has a notoriously troubled production history. Mm. I think the narrative though is still quite seamless. So mm. do you, I don't know, do you feel that the narrative works still? I think the narrative definitely works. I mean for what it's wanting to be, most certainly. I don't... Yeah. I think there's a couple of points that you sort of sit there and go, okay, that's obviously filler, or yeah. or that was going somewhere, and it was obviously the rest of it was cut. But, I mean, most movies have bits like yeah. that. Was there, like, one, one or two yeah, examples so, that you um, thought of? For me, the part where, you know, they're in the, the, the flowers and they... Yeah, the poison poppies. The poison poppies as she falls asleep and all that... Uh, that to me sort of felt very rushed. That felt like mm. uh, almost like someone going, "There hasn't been any trouble recently. Um, we better throw something <laughs> in." Or this was going to go somewhere. It's almost as if there were several other mm. things that she had to fight against. Yeah. Either before or after this, that sort of got cut for time or something. Okay. And they sort of just left this in as a bit of a. You know, as, oh, well, this as an obstacle, as, as an, an obstacle, yeah. It, it, to me, the, it's kind of like again. You might in storytelling, you got the rule of threes. Yeah. It feels like it's missing two obstacles. Right. Okay. You know, you've met the three friends, yeah. and they had their own obstacles as part of it. Yeah. Then you have this obstacle with nothing, mm. and then they get to the wizard. Now, of course, it keeps going from there. Yes, it doesn't end there. But. To me, th- that obstacle of the poppy fields mm. almost would have sat better on the way to try to get to the witch oh, okay. as part of that arc. Yeah. Just shuffle it around a bit. Because oh, I'm not sure if that, that would work, Philip, because by that stage, with Dorothy and the boys going away from the Emerald City and essentially back mm. to her, she's really she'd really welcome them, though. She wouldn't want to have them as an... Put an obstacle there. No, oh yeah, I'm not saying it would work. Work. I'm just saying, in terms of in terms of that having these obstacles. To be honest, I would have had another two obstacles that were very obviously the witch trying to stop it getting to Oz. Yeah. See, I am trying to now think back to the original text. Yeah. And I believe the poppies is in there, but I actually don't remember anything more of it than what is depicted. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember if Glinda in the original text like saves the day like she does mm. here. But it just felt out of place. It just for me but again this yeah. is coming from what, eighty more years yes. since you know, of film knowledge <laughs> and, and and tropes and yes. stuff. I mean not that stories in general hadn't been going on, but yeah. we do see film in, at this time. To be honest, I think this film yeah. is one of the best put together for its era. Right. Um, you have a lot of film after that that's sort of when Hollywood hits its golden era. Yeah. To be honest, I've always felt they really were just throwing spaghetti at the wall and not knowing what was working. Yeah. That's why you get a lot of things like... you. Your Sound of Music, your Mary Poppins, which are good, do not get me wrong, but what I'm driving at is they're those musicals. Yeah. They are those musicals. They are those musicals with just singing sort of thrown in sometimes the, Ooh, the good ones. Phil. I know, I <laughs> Singing know. just thrown in? Not Mary Poppins and Sound of Music, it works. Not to advance there the There are so many of those ones <laughs> yeah. that don't 
advance the narrative. Mary oh, Poppins, Sound of Music. To this, to this day, though, there are there are musicals that don't oh, advance no, the narrative. No, no, they, they do. But I'm just saying Hollywood seemed to be churning these style of movies out at that point. But don't you feel though that in in cinema, and we'll, we'll talk about American cinema mm-hmm. because you know different parts of the world have their own oh, eras and and journeys, I suppose, through cinemas. But so, but in American cinema, though, you've got your own. I don't want to say fads, hmm. but you've sort of got the flavor. The waves. Of, yeah, you've yeah. got the waves, the flavor of the month. And in the golden age of cinema, which this is a part of, mm. because of all the technical advancements, mm. because of the studio system, because of the rise of the Hollywood stars, mm. and that would obviously continue to the 50s because then you've got the birth of the teenager. Yep. So Hollywood is then appealing to them, and you've got the most iconic people to this day still coming out of Hollywood mm. in that era. You've got that going on. You've got, you know, the the underground trend that later comes. Our current climate of big action blockbusters in a hundred years, who knows how that will be reflected upon. It won't really be seen as anything special because, well, even now they're a dime a dozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like they'd be like, well, they didn't know what to do with movies, so they just put people in Lycra, had blue screen and CGI, yeah, and had true. them running around the city. True, true. So I just, yeah, no, I don't know. If right. I, yeah, I don't agree with your critique of the golden era of Hollywood. I think you had different genres and everything going around. This is probably one of the more popular ones no, at the time. You are right. I hadn't thought of it like that. Mm. Um, I'd always felt that it was because they didn't quite know how to put a story together on screen. Mm. But you're right. The, the, it is actually more to do with the, uh, as you say, flavour of the month, the wave, mm. the, the this is what is popular and working at the time. No, you... And you know what, Philip? Also, the audience is different. One of the comparisons, and not to to get into any debates about what film or what franchise is better or anything like that, but even if we consider, while we're talking about a children's film or a family Mm. film like The Wizard of Oz, you know, when we go into the 80s and we have The NeverEnding Story, which Mm. is one of my all-time favourite movies of any genre, anywhere, Mm. and I just reflect on the messages of that film and how amazing it is. There are similar messages in the Harry Potter franchise mm. in terms of the underdog, someone being bullied, a celebration of literature, mm. like all of these different things. One of those movies goes for 89 minutes. <laughs> Practical effects all the way. Another one is an entire franchise yeah. that goes for... Hundreds and hundreds of minutes <laughs> and uses all of this, you know, uh, impressive CGI and trickery and all of these different things. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other. But one was more successful than the other. Yes. Yeah. What, both have endured in popular culture, though, mm. mind you. The mm. NeverEnding Story was a box office failure. Mm. But the audiences are different. If you show a child now who's grown up with Harry Potter the MCU, all of these wonderful franchises that you know are visually spectacular, tell good stories <laughs> absolutely in their own right. But if you show them the never-ending story, which every child of the 80s grew up with and fell in love with, mm. they will be bored out yeah, of their brains yeah. and think it's absolute crap. No, that's true, that's <laughs> yeah. true. So I think there's something quite magical about how The Wizard of Oz still endures. Yeah. And I think that's because of its story. Oh, most certainly. I'm not always sure that the film is paced 
exquisitely, if that makes sense. I'm wondering if that's what I'm t- I feel is with, for example, the the poppy scene. Yeah, I know there was a couple of others in there, but I really cannot think of them right this second. Just where it's placed, the pacing of it, mm. it's it grinds the sort of pacing to a halt. Yeah, it's a strange scene, I will admit, because it is an obstacle. But it's resolved very quickly. Yes, that's it. It's an obstacle that's resolved very quickly without any real height or... Yeah. I mean, she's having a sleep. We know... Why? Why and all that. But she's sort of going to sleep and there's no point where they say, no, you'll die. Yeah. It's just having a nap and these two guys that aren't affected by it are going, well, no, I want to go over here. (laughs) And... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So as you say, there's no real height to it. There's no. Mm. It's resolved far too quickly. And again, for me, because there are no other obstacles on this particular path. Yeah. I mean, again, yes, there are obstacles later, but they're disconnected. They're, for, to me, they are not connected yeah. journeys. It's like she her first journey is to get to uh, the wizard. Yeah. The wizard then sends her on a new journey. Yes. And to me, they're not sort of connected directly. Do you know what I think the purpose, though, of these little obstacles along the Yellow Brick Road? Because if we want to talk about a literal connection, it is the Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, yeah. But if we want to go, okay, well, come on now, what's really the purpose? I think it's actually to reiterate the message of the film. Because we see once they're on the you know Yellow Brick Road together, one of the only obstacles are the trees. Yeah. With the apples and so forth. So, okay, why do we have this scene? Because it reiterates, or plants the seed, if you will, that the Scarecrow has brains, because it's his idea about how to get the apples. So it's already foreshadowing, just like Dorothy, he has it all the time. He's already got brains, even though he's not acknowledging it himself. And I suppose all the little obstacles thereafter are are similar, because we also see in the poppy scene, I suppose, the Tin Man starts to cry. Well, he doesn't have a heart, apparently Mm. so how can he have feelings yes he does all the time it also i suppose reiterates glinda versus the wicked witch yeah maybe so i i think it's more to reiterate the characters so anything else uh, you have scarecrow then you have the apple trees yes then you meet tin man and then is it poppy or is there something else no you meet the lion and there's no obstacle in there there is a scene where the Wicked Witch of the West comes in and does the fireball to the yeah. to the Scarecrow. So, I mean, you could argue, and I do, there mm. is always something happening. There mm. isn't, you know, th- th- these these kids don't I, get much pay, go, get much peace. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to connect. If because I feel if we connect the poppy scene with those obstacles, then it doesn't feel as out of place. Yes. There's just something about it that just doesn't. It's like one of these things is not like the other. And you know what? It could just be that it's an open field and not in the forest. Maybe. It could just be as simple as that. But I feel like that Mm. everything that these characters go through reiterates that they have what they want the whole time. Yes. yes, The the lion, you have to really look (laughs) to find his courage. He doesn't really get it towards the very, very end Mm. uh, when they're, you know, storming the the castle and so forth. But... The scarecrow especially demonstrates intelligence, and, all the way through, and, yeah. and, you know, creative and lateral thinking yeah. all the way through. That's the easy one to show, though. Yes, right? I think so too, yeah. because he's the leader. Mm. And then we've got the Tin Man, who is quite sensitive. So again, we've we've got the height there, mm. and Dorothy, who 
I really, she realizes there's no place like home mm. as soon as she lands in, in Munchkinland. Yeah. Because that's all she wants to do is just go Get home. home. Yeah. Yeah. Return because she's not in Kansas anymore. Mm. So we're really following these characters along this journey. What did you think about the characters, Phil? Let's break them down one by one. Judy Garland as Dorothy, your thoughts? I uh, absolutely love her. Yeah. I um, think she's gorgeous. Again, having watched this uh, sort of pseudo-doco yeah. about her, she, she went through hell for this. Absolutely. She, she went through absolute yeah. hell for this, and that's sad. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think it's a testament to her performance. Yes, so you don't think about that when you watch the film. Oh, definitely. When not. Judy Garland first appears, a huge smile appears on my face, mm. and it does not drop because yeah. every time she's on screen, this just beautiful innocence mm. she brings to Dorothy is just so gorgeous, mm. and just uh, again, just it's expositionally, but I don't care because that's what children do. No, that's it. Point that's out it. the obvious, but yeah. she does it in, in a way where it's, she's either really excited or a little bit scared. She's got these gorgeous moments where she'll sort of put her, you know, finger to her mouth because she's confused or a little bit frightened. And it is such a sensitive portrayal. Yeah. And you can see why so many people connect to this character and why Judy always respected the role. Yes. All the way through her life, she never made fun of it. She always respected the role of Dorothy, the film, and what both of those meant to the fans of the yeah. film. You know, for every, like, what a gorgeous legacy. If you're ever going to have a legacy. No, that's it. That's a hell of a legacy. Dorothy, go, how beautiful is yeah. that? But for me, Judy Garland makes this picture mm. work. There is nothing I can absolutely flaw about her performance mm. whatsoever. I have to say, similarly with Ray Bolger as the Scarecrow, mm-hmm. their dynamics. This works so well. Yeah, the chemistry is there. So I don't know if you knew this, Phil, but there actually is a deleted scene with Dorothy and Hunk, who Mm. is the you know the real world Kansas equivalent of Scarecrow, that implies that there is some romance between them, or at least there's puppy love, (laughs) some affection, definitely from Dorothy's side that she just swoons over him, and I. think that in the final product even without that scene we can see that special connection between the yeah, two yeah, yeah. particularly in the Oz scenes with the yeah. Scarecrow I'm going to miss you the most yeah, I'm going yeah. to miss you the most so that definitely explains that if we do not know you know the deleted scene at all for example we can say well that would make sense because Scarecrow led the way yeah, he was the yeah, first it. so it still makes sense yeah. but there is that element of Dorothy it was a different you know, era yeah it, it was. was such a different era absolutely yeah you I, know. I, I say this stuff to Kirsten I say because uh, she'll look at something and go how could they do it I'm like it was a different era yeah and she's like yeah but how does that just excuse so and so yeah this is an era where as you sort of alluded to before the teenager was not invented no Children were adults by 15. Yeah. If not, if, alert, if not earlier. Yeah. Um, there were still plenty of cultures and plenty of states in the US which 12 was the uh, age of consent. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a... I mean, ah, we didn't change a lot of that until after the Second World War. No, that's correct. You know, so... Um, well, yes. once the birth of the teenager, we had a new culture well, yeah, come through. Too. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the idea that... There would be some romantic chemistry, for example, between Dorothy and Hunk, is not that far fetched. Yeah, yeah. And admittedly, I have seen the deleted scene. Yep. 
it, it's played quite sweetly. And if yeah. anything, it is played more from Dorothy as in having puppy love yeah, over yeah, this, yeah. you know, older handsome man and so forth. Mm. How it's reciprocated or what was left on the cutting room floor of the original <laughs> script. I'm just going to leave that for other yeah, historians yeah, to discuss. But that's their it. dynamics are gorgeous. I love Ray Bolger's flexibility, the way he moves. Mm. He was originally cast as the Tin Man. Okay. And he had said, no, I want to play the Scarecrow. He had seen another actor play the Scarecrow on stage, idolised him and said, this is the reason why I, I you know, wanted to become an actor, why I went to vaudeville. So I want to play the role he played. And yeah. the studio allowed him to do that. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So Jack Haley played the Tin Man. He came in and actually replaced the original Tin Man after Ray Bolger okay. had switched. The original Tin Man had a reaction to the aluminium paint. Oh, that's sad. Yes, and no one told Jack Haley this either, by the way, just in case. But again, it's a really sensitive portrayal, I mm. felt. I thought they cast him oh, well. Most he moves well in that suit as yeah, well. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's got to be hard to do that sort of stuff in the costumes that the three oh, of them have. absolutely. I think the Tin Man especially, there's a lot of fabric on that Cowardly Lion suit. Mm. <laughs> Let's pause a little bit and reflect on the Cowardly Lion. One thing I said to you is that you know, you look at the Cowardly Lion very differently when you're an adult, oh, as yeah. you do oh, when yeah. you were a child. Could this be the first openly gay lion <laughs> in cinema? Quite possibly. <laughs> Definitely a forerunner to a snugglepuss. Absolutely, yes. And the thing about the Cowardly Lion is, and I know that they're emphasising his effeminacies to really show that he is cowardly because you can't be effeminate and brave oh, apparently not. clearly no, not no, so no. I know that that's why they're emphasising him and by you know his own words he is mm. a sissy and mm. you know a, a dandy line which has got a cute, a cute play really <laughs> and yeah but I love how camp <laughs> Bert Lahr plays him <laughs> it's really cute he's got this gorgeous line where after they've arrived in Emerald City and, you know, they've all had their makeovers and so forth and he's there in the seat next to Dorothy, both of them getting their hair done and things like that. And, you know, they uh, refuse to see the, uh, yeah. the the wizard. They're they're rejected to see him. And the line says, but I got a permanent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about his permed curls and mane. Yeah. Which I just thought that was absolutely gorgeous. gorgeous. There's a lot of humour. You just want to hug that That's line it. as well. Yeah. Um, I love how scared he is of his own shadow. He's got that yeah. gorgeous line of somebody's pulling on my tail and like, it's you. you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to throw in here, so while we were watching this, mm. I actually said to you, Wayne, that there was a couple of, you know, if I was to recast this, you know, yes, like the dream you were casting sort of this thing. movie. And the thing is, I want to... Uh, state for the record though for me if I actually feel if you can re if you can watch a movie especially if feel people like you and I Wayne yeah um, and go oh I'd have so and so in this or I'd have so and so in that mm. to me that actually doesn't isn't us going oh the people we're seeing are horrible oh of course not if anything I think it's more a case of I love this script so much yeah I love the characters portrayal so much that if I weren't to, ha- weren't to have these people mm. I could see so and so in this role or I could see so and so in this role because it's just so amazing yeah I know for myself and probably revised a little bit I'll say the ones that I said to you Wayne yes. this was just off the top of my head but I was like um, Tin Man would be Jim Carrey yeah uh, I just, I think, Jim Carrey, when he does sweet 
and mm. so like we think of Jim Carrey as big and loud and yeah. faithful, but he actually does sweet and small really well Absolutely. as well. The best comedians do. That's it. Yeah. Robin Williams for the line. <laughs> I, I I would love to see the line whilst this version, yes, as you say, was the sort of very camp and very yeah. very I'd love to see this align with the energy of Robin Williams mm. so that He's got all this bravado and all this energy, but as soon as he's scared, he's skitty. He's yes. just, it's all over the place, yeah. scared. And Robert Williams also played it sensitively. Most certainly, most lions. certainly. And um, Dick Van Dyke for the <laughs> Scarecrow, 110%. Yeah. I'd love to see that. <laughs> and again, for me, this isn't in me saying that, oh, that's because these guys did a bad job. It, it actually inspires not. me to go, oh, well, if I had... That would be fun. ...people now, yeah. who would you... Or, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 that would be fun. And you never know, like, you know, some of the great comedians that we all grew up with, you know, in our lifetime, mm. were inspired by no, people from exactly. the golden era that's as well. It. But what about one other character I'd like to talk about mm. was the Wicked Witch of the West. Yes. So Margaret Hamilton's portrayal. What were your thoughts? It's such an iconic role, a lot of iconic lines. It's, it's hard because for me, she is the most cliched character. And yeah. this is the hard part. Again, this comes from watching now yes. versus putting yourself in the thing back then. Of course, But yeah. for me now, she is the epitome of everything that is cliched yes. now from that, that that movie started the yeah. parodies of. So watching it retrospectively, yes, yes. though, does it, did it work, though? Or did it still feel a bit too much? Or, I mean, I, I think I it could, suits the tone of the film for me. Yeah, no, well, that, that, so that's the hard part. So... Yeah. For a children's movie, especially mm. made at the time, and to be honest, even now, yeah. for a children's movie, she did an amazing job. Yeah. If you were to try to sell that as an adult movie, which it's not, and I appreciate that, but mm. my point is, it is over the top. It yeah. is a very one... She's actually a very one-dimensional character, oh, yeah. which is why I think people love um, playing with stage shows such as... Wicked. Yeah. Because it takes this one-dimensional character, this just character that is just evil. Yes. And looks at everything else that she could be. Yes. It's funny when you watch Wicked how you know you, you feel about the Wicked Witch versus the Good Witch. Mm. <laughs> it kind of flips. <laughs> Which yeah. is, is quite interesting. Wicked is such a great musical, yeah. I think. And I love the, the way that they've played with the backstories and the um, origins. I've yet of to characters. see it, but yeah. It is absolutely highly recommended. It's so much fun. You're watching it and you just go, oh, that's the person who'll become the Scarecrow. But yeah. for me, who was, you know, I think just loving it so much doesn't really click until the very moment it happens. And yeah. that's so clever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And, and this is sort of. This is the thing, though, mm. because she's such a one-dimensional character, and things like again, the, it's the problem of the children's show that mm. you have this character that wants to kill Dorothy, but somehow can't, and and she actually feels very. Mm. It's like when a villain in a superhero movie starts monologuing. You just yeah. sit there and go, "Come on, just <laughs> just kill him, yeah. just kill him." Yeah. Know? Well, I suppose. That's probably made up with that she has to be careful how she treats Dorothy mm. because when she does have Dorothy in the end, she acknowledges that she just can't kill her. She has to think about the way she will kill her mm. because if she does it incorrectly, it will impact the spell 
that's on the ruby slippers that make them so powerful. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that's probably recovered at, at the end. It could yeah. be too little too which late. Also, but which also explains, though, why she goes to kill the friends first. Yes. But even then, it's cover, you know the soldiers that sort of slowly move in very carefully yes. against unarmed. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's Philip. It's called dramatic tension. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. But, and that I think is though why this is different as an adult, eighty years later yeah. versus children of the thirties. Yeah, I mean the f- film as well in itself was made, you know, yeah, primarily for children and families, but I guess it had to appeal to adults yeah, too because yeah. they had to sit through it. it. And I think some of the elements that would get adults really excited was a, a lot of the, the visuals mm. and, of course, that beautiful score. Yes, I, the music is amazing. It is so gorgeous. Let's just start with Over the Rainbow. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the film itself came in at over two hours mm-hmm. and the studio had said we have to cut this film down to under two hours because most were tracking at 90 minutes back mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. and so for example scenes on the farm were deleted mm-hmm. such as that one between hunk and dorothy mm-hmm. um we had a song called jitterbug that was deleted <laughs> as well and i think some of the songs were merged and the studio said let's get rid of that song over the rainbow because it's probably too slow. It was probably it was degrading having Judy Garland singing in a farm, like all of these different things. And the director and some others were just so adamant. They were like, "There is absolutely no, no way. way that song is being yeah. cut out." I mean, it's got such emotional mm. gravitas to it. It is so beautifully mm. performed. It's amazing how many films you hear stuff like that. Yeah, like I know again to to bring up uh, Star Wars to take a shot everyone yeah. but um, the Star Wars episode 4 was famously saved in the editing room yeah you know it was you watch the extended versions yeah and that Death Star fighting goes on for it <laughs> yes even as a fan of the film you just go no nah, you can see why they cut Edit- it editors are magicians exactly and the fact that everyone fought for Over the Rainbow to stay was amazing yes. it ended up winning best song yeah that's it- is Judy Garland's theme song. It mm. is, uh, you know, the torch song for so many who feel disengaged yes. or, you know, a bit distant mm. or wanting for Which better. Is interesting that that became the bit that so many people really took from the movie, yeah. yet the movie is about conforming yeah. and st- sticking to what you know. No, absolutely, no. <laughs> and yes, a lot of it is, oh, it was inside you all along, yeah. you always had it, but it's, it's still about. Yes, the end thing is about stay here, don't go. Yes, do as you're told. Don't be a selfish brat. <laughs> don't be a selfish brat. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just going to say, with that ending, everyone forgets that Toto's dead. Unless, <laughs> unless the horrible don't kill evil, my childhood. Unless, unless the the wicked witch thing was a bit more literal, <laughs> and she, and she got killed. She is coming to get the dog. It's not not happening. Who knows? Maybe with the to- maybe the tornado humbles her in the yeah, end or maybe, something. Maybe, I don't maybe. know. We're not going to think that way. Uh, but yeah, like just going back onto the score, uh, it was beautiful. The score itself won an Oscar as well. Yep. This film was released at the same time as Gone with the Wind, which we're saving that film for another podcast because it is so epic. Yeah. Um, also, the look of this. You know, that beautiful sepia tone for Kansas, the brightness of Oz. So, Philip, if I may ask, I talked earlier about how, as a child, the magic of 
Dorothy opening the door and then revealing the colorful mm. Munchkin Land. So, as somebody who is colorblind, <laughs> how does that like? Is there still a wow factor for I'd you? Say, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So, one of the things I think they've inadvertently done is because it is so many different colors and it is such a bright contrast. Yes. Even someone who's colorblind can see. Oh, yeah. Brightness. I it's, mean, it's, it's, somewhere different. I'm yeah. somewhere different. Yeah. I, I think the only people that would really struggle with this would be monochrome. Yeah. Um, so people that can only see in shades of black and white. Yes. I mean, I black, guess. White and gray. Yeah. I guess the advantage is though that you know because it's a, a real world, so to speak. Yeah. The fact that we go from sepia to color yeah, isn't it. acknowledged in the story because it's still real yeah, life type it. thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll use a, a modern example. Yes. The live action version of Lion King. Yes. Colours in there uh, throw colourblind people because they actually do bring it to a more modern sort of thing. Yeah. And quite often you actually lose a lot of detail at being yeah. uh, colourblind because mm. whilst it's not... With colourblindness, we can actually see through a lot of camouflage because yeah. camouflage has been built for the normal eye yeah. to try to blend things in for us. It's like, oh, look at that square-shaped thing. I can see it. I can see it. But because Lion King are using similar colours, but obviously is they're trying not to get things to blend in, for us a lot of stuff does blend yeah, in. Yeah, so not quite enjoyable. Not quite as enjoyable versus the animated, which used a lot of bright colours. Yeah. This is the almost the reverse of that. They've used such differing bright colors it doesn't matter to me whether there's a load of purple and a load of blue in there yeah there's yellow and red and green and blue there might be purple but i can't see it it's still but it doesn't matter it's still bright and awesome yeah it's one of those things that i think maybe would be interesting for someone with worse color blindness than myself Mm. to watch with those um colorblind glasses that come out because you see these videos of people that are like look at a balloon and then put on That's the glasses right. and they burst into tears because they're like, oh. I never saw that colour. Yeah, absolutely. So that could be interesting. But for myself, no, there's nothing that was diminished from that. Yeah. Or at least that I can tell. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that the magic is, is, is still there. Mm. And also because the shapes are different as well. Yeah. The scale is different. Yeah. The costumes are more exaggerated. Yeah. Um, one of the thing is also the set design that I particularly quite like. I think one of the disadvantages of its modern transfers onto DVD and Blu-ray, for example, is because it's so cleaned up that you can tell where the set ends and the drops. Whereas, you know, back on on fuzzy TVs and so forth and a little bit grainy, it melded better. Nicely, yeah. And you get a lot of issues with that with, especially those matte painting uh, movies now. Back then, it was awesome and amazing. You could make things look in the distance. Now, you're seeing the paint strokes. (laughs) You're you're seeing, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I definitely think there is that disadvantage there. I mean, it's noticeable, but it didn't bother me. Yeah, but this is also the great thing. If this were a movie that the storyline wasn't as strong and the yeah. acting was poor, and you'd see all of that. Oh, absolutely. Good story and good storytelling mm. trumps everything as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And that's why there are that's why people talk about bad movies that are good. Yeah. Because there are a lot of movies where the storyline is amazing. Yeah. But the look of it is just atrocious. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Never-ending story, mm. theoretically, has that sort of thing. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. You could turn around and say, 
the the, the puppetry, the, mm-hmm. the look of it, the whole look of Neverending Story is dated and even for its time, theoretically, was not A-grade. But, end of the day, the story outweighed all of that mm. and even makes it look good because the story is convincing enough. All you have to do is believe. That's it. And if you're right, the story is strong, if the actors are strong, mm-hmm. if you've got a director who can pull it all together, mm-hmm. the rest falls into exactly. place. Exactly. And I think this is also another reason why The Wizard of Oz endures. It just comes together so beautifully. For its time, it was just so important in terms of American cinema. The use of Technicolor was amazing. Not many films used Technicolor on mm. the scale. It was not the first to use Technicolor, but the way it used it was quite magical. It has enjoyed many re-releases on cinema, anniversary releases on DVD and Blu-ray. And of course, we all, or most of us, watched it as kids on TV. It is regarded as the most watched movie in history based on that with all Mm -hmm. of those repeats and um, television broadcasts. Mm. It's considered so important in terms of American culture and it transcends American borders Mm. really because it does talk to those themes that are universal Mm. about finding the courage within, knowing you had it all along. I'd almost turn around and I can't think of anything else off the top of my head right now, but... Mm. For me, it'd almost be the oldest movie that is still regularly played. I mean, maybe Snow White. When was that? That was was 1937. 37, so maybe beaten out by Snow White there. But, I mean, you think about it. There aren't movies from, you know, the 1910s, which we regularly go and say, oh, I need this on DVD. Yes. The 1930s is really where it starts in terms of of films that endure. Now, there are... A number of reasons for that one we preserve film better yeah, <laughs> or they yeah. started to preserve film better yeah and the features came out and it was the birth of all of these advancements so important movies i suppose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of storytelling and filmmaking were really being made in the 30s yep but you're right this is absolutely one of the earliest what is it about the wizard of oz that makes us sit our children our mm. nieces our nephews our little cousins ourselves down mm. and Say, you need to watch this. Yeah. And uh, what makes these audiences, first time and re- revisiting, mm. say, I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I really think that it comes to, it comes down to everything we've already talked about. Yes. It's because it does, even to today's standard, look good. Yeah. You, for me, you all you'd really need to do, if you were to remake this... Mm. Really, all you'd have to do is uh, touch up some of the uh, graphics, so maybe a little bit of CG in there, mm. and HD use a HD camera on the whole <laughs> thing, and it, it's just as good. Yeah. You wouldn't want to touch the actors or the acting, no. keep them all the same. And the editing is superb. I, I Honestly, from what I can gather, mm. there's only like three fade to blacks and do mm. not quote me on that but I could only manage to think of three yeah. one at the very start one randomly in sort of the middle and that's where the, the lion jumps through the, the glass <laughs> <laughs> running away from the whiz yep. and then one at the very end mm. nearing the very end where they've got these fat everything else are nice dissolves yeah. and cut twos and 
really very seamless. Yeah. It doesn't take you out of. No, I I agree. It it sweeps along quite nicely. It's always exciting. These characters are always engaging. Mm. And like you said, Phil, so many reasons why it has endured. It endures in popular culture. We all know Over the Rainbow. Mm. We all know the ruby slippers. In the original text, they were silver. And, you know, the filmmakers were like, no, red's going to stand out even more. When we say Yellow Brick Road, we know that means a journey or yeah. a path to something better. Yeah. In the sequel to this film, which happened many years <laughs> apart and held the record for the longest time between original and the, sequel. The Wiz? It's called Return to Oz. Ah. With Frizula Bulk as Dorothy. And she returns to Oz and finds the yellow brick road broken. Ah. Yes, it's quite a dark film, actually, mm-hmm. compared to it. That held a record for a while until Mary Poppins Returns came out yep. for that. But... The Yellow Brick Road, yeah, is so significant. Yeah. They spent, I think, almost a week deciding what pigment of yellow to mm, use because even mm. they acknowledged that it was Gonna important. Symbolically speaking, it was important. We talked about tropes before. How many times have we seen, and mostly in parody now, mm. somebody waking up from a dream? You were there, and yeah. you were there, <laughs> and you were there. Quotes. Yeah. There's no place like home. Yeah. I mean, it's a true sentiment but, you know, it's articulated so beautifully yeah. by Dorothy herself. And, of course, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog yeah, yeah. whenever we want vengeance against somebody. That's it. Yeah. I mean, and you, I probably annoyed you a couple of times any time one of the lines that was had been done by Robin Williams in <laughs> Good Morning Vietnam came up. Like the, oh, hey, oh. That is very oh, popular. Oh, Yes, very <laughs> popular. And beautifully parodied in The Simpsons as well. Oh, of I course, add, of yes. course. The Wizard of Oz actually appears a lot in the Simpsons in different episodes one thing I want to talk about before we wrap this all up is the one tiny thing that I think hasn't quite traversed the timeline all that well yeah and that is the issue of the munchkins right so very basically I've heard a lot of talk and discourse about dwarves not uh, are being used essentially as freaks in this in this movies. They are the other. They are you know the the, the small people with the, the funny voices and the all that sort of stuff. And they're used you know they're cute, they're cuddly, they're yeah. But they are the other essentially yeah. from that vaudeville sort of era of to be laughed at. They are the freaks. They are yeah. all that. I guess it yeah it's supposed to um, accentuate the fact that we are not in Kansas anymore. Exactly. And this is an easy. Semiotic to use. That's yeah. it. Which I have heard a lot of people say probably wouldn't stand up all that well mm. in this day and age. Yeah. Now, whilst I understand that, I also sit back and go, how many... I know there are some children used there as well. Yes. But how many dwarves actually got a role on that? Yes. Quite a lot. Quite a lot. I know there are a lot of dwarves that talk about being proud that they were a munchkin. Yeah. And this is sort of where, for me, it gets into this talk and debate about... I mean, we, we talk about it any time a straight actor plays a gay character mm. or um, or vice versa, or all that sort of thing, yeah. where it's about giving the right role to someone who is actually yes. of that. Yet, nobody's writing dwarf roles. No, and when you've got roles even in mainstream films or independent films featuring little people, they are either the source of a joke or humour. So if we think about 
Death at a Funeral, mm-hmm. for example, like that's yep. one example. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Um, so they bring the uh, dwarves in to fight each other. Yeah. Elf. Ha- Elf. Yeah. Jackass. Yeah. All these sort of, it is all purely because look at the little people, let's have a laugh at yeah. them. The only thing of modern stuff that I think is really being just used as this is just the character. Yeah. Is anything Peter Dinklage is in. Yes. He very much... Yes, whilst his height is acknowledged and sometimes lampooned for comedic effect... Yes, because he's been in some of those titles we've even talked about. That's it. It's no different for for his roles. It is no different to picking on someone for being tall. Yes. Or picking on some... It's just done for comedic effect as opposed to laugh at the freak effect. Yes. And so I wonder... With that in mind, with a little bit of tweaking, <laughs> if we were to redo The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. would you be comfortable saying, yes, we still want the munchkins? Yeah. And just with that little bit, maybe a tweaking, would that work? Or is it just straight up offensive? Well, I feel like that if munchkins are supposed to be little people, I don't think that there would be offence to them because this is how they are this mm, is mm. this is actually roles made for people mm. who are of short stature and that's quite interesting because then you go okay great so it would be offensive to have a person who is of average height and somehow manipulate them digitally to make them smaller that would be worse i think mm. because then you automatically have well how about little people that deserve mm. to have these roles it's then how you present them well if munchkins are supposed to be colourful well that's fine I mean is it really offensive when we consider a lot of characters in the Wizard of Oz who are of different species or races if Mm -hmm. you will they're all quite bright and colourful so I feel like that if you were to remake the Wizard of Oz I don't know if the munchkins are as much of a problem but I'm not the right person to be speaking (laughs) for that community because again like you've just been saying Philip there's very few movie titles mm. where a person of short stature is represented quite respectfully. Mm. One film that comes to mind is a movie called Things You Can Tell by Looking at Her. Mm-hmm. And there is a story in that film, because it's multiple like stories, about a woman who is of average stature who has a romance with a person of short stature. And there, you acknowledge, I guess, the oddities of yep. that pairing and partnership because it's not so common, but it's played quite sweetly. I mean, that was made in 2000, so mm. contemporary enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose. But there aren't really a lot of titles to choose yeah. from, really. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose that's where... Because, again, the argument is also made that, you know, oh, well, that you didn't have to create them like that. It, again, it's similar to the Oompa Loompas in uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, yeah. where they are dwarves, yeah. but they're given a funny skin colour yeah. and a funny language to sort of sing from and a silly name and yeah. a silly backstory. Okay, on one hand, it's from the book. Yeah. On the other hand, you're sitting there saying, well, you can't be a dwarf unless unless you are another. Another. Yeah. No, unless you're true. a munchkin, unless you're a okay. elf from Willow, yeah. unless you're a halfling from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. 
you can't be that unless you are something that you are not. Yes, and I, which I think is why I like Peter Dinklage sort yeah. of turning around and saying, "Oh, he is so important so mm. as well in terms of cinema and representation of people who have dwarfism." Mm. Uh, and again, like I could just only think of one movie title that I yeah. thought was a respectful representation. Yeah. But again, it's not really for your eye to say. No, that's true. That's and, true. you know, sometimes you might have to say, well, if there's going to be a representation of a certain culture, community, or people, some is better than nothing. Like, yeah. all people who aren't part of the dominant ideology make compromises and fight until there is a representation that is appropriate and respectful. So, Philip, mm. I'm curious, now that we've gone through the Wizard of Oz what are your final thoughts and a score out of five um, definitely I think you are right that this is one of the most beautiful movies to stand the test of time mm. I, I mentioned Snow White and Seven Dwarves earlier yeah. I've actually always believed Snow White doesn't hold up anymore. Okay. I'm not a... I don't think the the morals in it are good. I don't think the... I think the animation's all right, but, I mean, we've got better now. I don't think the story's good for little kids anymore. All this sort of stuff. So, for me, without having an extensive knowledge of 30s movies, (laughs) for me, this is one of the oldest and best movies to stand the test of time that I think should be in your DVD, Netflix account, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Five out of five, definitely, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you don't know American cinema, yeah, yeah. you don't know The Wizard of Oz, you don't know pop culture unless yeah. you know The Wizard of Oz. And if you've never seen The Wizard of Oz, there's an element of it that you absolutely know without even knowing, knowing it. about it, yeah. Because it's so prevalent in Western society, and I'm sure others as well. Yeah. I agree with you, Philip. I think this movie is remarkable. I think it holds up so well. It is enduring. It is so charming. Mm. It is driven by Judy Garland Mm. in one of the most iconic film roles in history anywhere in the world. She is just so beautiful, so gracious, and so respectful to the material. And so is everyone else who has put this movie together This is one of the few films I have ever seen that has had an enormous amount of production problems and it does not show. Mm. Normally when there are production problems, you go, oh yeah, I can see see that. I can see that. I can see that. Oh yeah, that they didn't get along with this happened behind the scenes. You get none of it here. Mm. That is how skillful this movie is made. Yeah. It is magical. I love the score. I love the look of it. I love everything about this film. It is an absolute masterpiece. Quite easily one of the greatest movies ever made. And there is nothing else to say except for five out of five from me too. Beautiful. (laughs) And Philip, what are we reviewing next time? Well, comrade, (laughs) I want you to stand at attention and clap like you've never clapped before. Mm -hmm. As I will be introducing you to the death of Stalin. (laughs) Yes, The Death of Stalin, a comedy based around the event of the same name. (laughs) (laughs) So, the appropriately titled movie, Death of Stalin. Yes. I have not seen this film, Philip, and Stalin is one of the more interesting history figures Mm. that I've ever learnt about and researched about. 
wrote an essay about. So well, then I'm you are about going this. to love this. Okay. Big expectations. Big expectations that will be fulfilled. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that, Philip. <laughs> but until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a Philip Hunting. And, and you've just experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. Oh, please stop now. Blooper reel. G'day. Hello. Hello. Hey. hey. Whoa. Hey. Welcome to... No. no. Let's start again. That's okay. Yes, that, you, that was you me. Started. It was my yep. fault. Yep. What's, it's my fault for once. What have you been watching since our last podcast? I have been watching... I totally forgot that we did this part. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, punch it out. Let's just punch it out. Okay. Um, what have I been watching? Um, yep, cool. Yep. From the top or... We can, or you can just simply go yep. from I've been watching. After saying all of that... Yes. Wayne, what did we watch today? Well, today we watched and we're reviewing the most viewed movie of all time. Ooh. It's The Wizard of Oz. Did you need me to do that again or... No, I think I repaired right. I repaired right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Unless, do you want to do it again? Let's throw it out there and you can have choice. Okay, cool. Speaking of all that, Wayne. No, it's a bad time. That's a very bad leading. Yeah. Wayne. No, let's just leave it. Okay, cool. (laughs) It's not going to work. Okay. When her dog Toto is condemned to be euthanized for biting her wicked neighbor, Almira Gulch, Margaret Hamilton... Kansas farm girl Dorothy Gale, Judy Garland, runs away from home with her pre- oh, I knew I'd get this wrong. When her dog Toto is condemned to be euthanized. Kirsten and I have watched a movie um, based on Julie, Judy... Start again. It's Judy Garland, isn't Judy it? Judy Garland, yeah. There's a cheat sheet at the bottom. It's, it's, a, it's a journey. It's an adventure. It's, a, it's an adventure within. It's self-discovery. There's quite a bit of exhibition. I never know. Mm. Exposition, I never say it. <laughs> there is quite a... There is quite a... Oh my gosh, hi. Hi, Phil. Hello. Hi, hang on. It's actually also uh, indicative of America mm-hmm. at the time, which was an America that... Didn't really want to get into another world war. Absolutely. That was still trying to push itself as isolation. Big expectations. Big expectations that will be fulfilled. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that, Philip. (laughs) But until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a... Extended scene. What have you been watching since our last podcast? 
I've been watching Friends. Oh, look at you. <laughs> now, I thought you didn't particularly like this show. I'm not a huge fan, but yeah. Kirsten has <laughs> been watching it, and so I've been watching it with her. Yes. Um, the funny thing is, Kirsten has sort of been complaining to me a little bit, to be honest. That's unlike a girlfriend to do. It's not like a girlfriend. <laughs> no, but to be fair, I think she's got a good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, I've been making her... So, because I'm so cynical about film and so cynical about... Uh, certain shows she says you know I didn't think about these shows before you came along now I've been questioning all my taste oh wow Um, so she watches Gilmore Girls and I cannot stand Gilmore Girls for me it's a right wing uh, claptrap I was going to say it's such a huge following though it is is. I've never seen it though I'm not a fan of it in one bit I think it's shallow it's vapid it's very right wing in it's views (laughs) not a fan whatsoever and she's like I didn't see it before you pointed it out. Now it's all I can see. <laughs> um, the friends in Friends are all a-holes, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And <laughs> They're not nice people. They are they? not nice people <laughs> at all. And unlike Seinfeld, where that's kind of the point, they're yeah. not meant to be nice people. You're meant to like the friends. You're meant yeah. to fall in love with them. And yet they are not nice people. And Kirsten's like... I didn't see it before you pointed it out. Why? Why do this to me? So why doesn't she just ban you from the lounge room? Because we watch in the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Google Cast. Google (laughs) Chrome. I feel like that she should ban you from the bedroom too. Actually. Yeah. I'd be like, you're sleeping on the couch yeah. keep ruining yeah. my shows. <laughs> well, Phil, you know what? Speaking of um, vapid and shallow, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of reality TV, actually. <laughs> Tis the season for the best, or at least most and highly rated reality TV shows in Australia. So I have been juggling one of my all-time favourite reality shows, Survivor Australia. Nice. I have returned to viewing The Block, which is a great show. I loved it back in the day. And for the very first time, and I see the look of judgment already, I am actually watching The Bachelor Australia. (laughs) And I'm just having so much fun. (laughs) It is just the greatest, you know, slush for the brain. Survivor can say he's in a different ballpark altogether. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really an, an involving show. Yeah. But I find The Bachelor so funny. I just think, this is hilarious, the way these women behave. And I just know as soon as the show finishes, I'm jumping straight on to watching The Bachelorette and seeing mm. how men just act like idiots for this Oof. one girl. But I was thinking, Philip, of you when I was watching The Block. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay. You know, first episode, I'm watching it. And, you know, it's a challenge straight away, get mm. into it. And I was like, I wonder if, if I could do The Block. <laughs> I, w- I would do the block with Philip. You reckon I, you and me? Well, yeah, I think I think we could do it. And do you know what? It's a twelve-week stint, right? <laughs> Based on what the contestants have been doing so far, you and I would last thirty-six hours yeah, before yeah. we like <laughs> packed up our tools and said we're walking away from this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I don't dislike all reality TV shows. No, it has its place. It's it a has genre. its place. It's a genre. But I must admit, I don't like a lot of them. No. So the block for me, put it this way, I would, I enjoy Backyard Blitz yeah. or um, Better Homes and Gardens. Yeah. Stuff where, okay, it's not reality, but it is that... Um, it's a lifestyle show. Lifestyle show. Yeah. Where you have professionals in the field or, yeah. or at least people that know what they're talking about properly. Yes. Coming in and going, um, you know, hey, this is how you can do it. Yeah. Or, we're going to do this. And you look at it and go, okay, cool. They're, they're just doing a thing. 
Reality TV shows like that, to me, just annoy me because they're amateurs at their work. People that sort of half know what they're doing. Yeah. Thinking they're all that in a nutshell. Just coming in and being like, oh yeah, well, I'm the best at this. Meanwhile, they're, they're pairing colours, even I, as a colourblind, <laughs> uh, you know, knows that does not work together. <laughs> and, well, and, it's interesting how many people with trade backgrounds actually get onto the show, mm, admittedly, mm. which is great for their own budgetary yeah. and, and things like that. But yeah, you do get a mixture of people who love the idea of mm. design and renovation. Some people just do it, like, to, to earn money and, and yep, to, yep. you know, as an extra thing. Uh, but yeah, but I'm definitely in that camp of like, oh yeah, I could do it. Acknowledging, 36 hours I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, funnily enough, yeah. and you may scoff at this and possibly rightly so, but I see, I enjoy Survivor yeah. and I've watched that show and gone, I could do that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny though, with Survivor, I actually think that I would be one of the first to be kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that I... I would play a really good social game. Yeah, I think that's where my strengths are. But that's can only take you so far for some people. Yeah. And that's why some people who come second and get uh, really upset that they came second because they've been manipulating and blindsiding yeah, yeah, yeah. and working all of this. They go, but no, but I played the better game. Why aren't I winning? Because you didn't get the social game right. Yes, that's yeah. it. That's you it. got played. The person who won played better socially. Yeah. And by doing that, allowed you to be the villain that nobody liked That's and it. not respected. That's it. Yeah. Um, but I, I must admit, I enjoy some uh, Bachelorette, Bachelor and Bachelorette cannot stand, I think, there. As a, oh, Philip, I don't, I don't even ask me why I just started like watching it this year. I think I was just like, okay, I need, just need something to watch yeah. just to kill an hour or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, oh, hang on, Bachelor has just started. Yeah. And I have to say, it is hysterical. Like, it is so funny. Yeah. You see, Kirsten and I very much struggle with television. We don't really watch normal television. No. But we do struggle with these sort of things because she's very happy to watch um, Friends yeah. and RuPaul. Yeah. Things that I do enjoy as well. Like, oh, Friends, whatever. But I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? I enjoy the stuff there. Whereas if you flip it, the stuff that I'm happy just... That I use to just sort of zone out and think yeah. out... I'm watching history videos, <laughs> QI, things that like uh, docos, things that where I need to pay attention to. That's it, yeah. and rightly so. They're not traditionally <laughs> mind-numbing things where no. they are for me because I'll I'll rewatch. Yes, and you also have a lot of knowledge, so. Most of the time, I suppose, they're not really telling you anything you don't know. They're That's just presenting it. it in a different way. I'll watch a doco for the 10th time in a row. So for me, it is mind-knowing because yeah. I already know the info. I'm just looking at the pretty pictures. Pretty pictures. And oh, just walking with dinosaurs. I, re- I love that so I revisited much. that a few months ago. Yeah. And, and I hadn't seen it since it first was yep. first on TV. And like, okay, you know, the animation yeah, obviously yeah, doesn't hold up. But, but you just go... But the story they have behind it is but like, gorgeous. You know, but I'm like, yeah, the animation doesn't hold up. The puppeteering is cute still. Mm. But he, I was just like, I still fell in love with it. Yeah. You're right, the story survives. I got emotional at certain mm. points. And oh, yes. It just, it's such a well-made Have you seen show. the other versions? So there's Walking with Creatures and Walking with Monsters. No, I've only seen Walking with Dinosaurs. Yep. But the others are good too. The others are good too. I think my understanding is there's Walking with Monsters, which is sort of a prequel to Walking with Dinosaurs. Right. So that's the sort of start of animal existence. Yeah. Walking with... It's either walking with beasts or walking with creatures, which is sort of the post-dinosaurs. So you're starting to get into mammal animals. Yeah. You, animals you know, we recognise. Yeah, you're saber-toothed tiger, you're, yeah. you're, you're mammoth, that sort of thing. 
And then there's walking with, and I think it's walking with cavemen oh. or walking with men, wow. which is the human evolution and element I'm of that. I'm definitely going to look that up. It, it sounds so fascinating. Good. Fascinating. 